0: It's better to wait for provision from heaven than to anxiously forge on ahead. It's wise to give up any idol we treasure and strive for contentment instead. on the hand of, of the, the children, children that He dearly loves. So take heart, take and, heart be strong. and be strong, though His ways, though his ways may seem long. better to wait better to wait on the Lord it's much better
1: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'm going to begin today's broadcast with an unusual disclaimer. Let me be very plain before I speak these words to you today that may be very discomforting to you, that I am nobody. I know that. In my Self, I am rotten to the core. In Jesus, I am cleansed and made whole and walk in the joy of the Lord. But I want to be very clear with you. The church in America is like the king who had no clothes and he paraded himself before all of the people And finally a little boy said, Look, look, Mama, the king doesn't have any clothes on. And the reality of that situation, everyone knew, but no one would admit. The king, hearing the whispers, he also recognized he had no clothes on, but he continued the parade in his nudity because he didn't want to admit that he'd been made a fool of. The church in America has no clothes on. I have no clothes on. I'm not comfortable with where I am with Jesus. I am not comfortable with where the church is. And so I come with a disclaimer, I I am nobody like that little boy in the crowd who said, look, the the king has no clothes. He was nobody. The only reason they would listen to that little boy was because he spoke the truth. I'm going to endeavor to speak the truth to you today, but it will be uncomfortable. I'm going to begin once more with the story of the Samaritan woman that Jesus was speaking with. And Jesus told this Samaritan woman all that she had done. She went into the town of Sychar to report to the men, not to the women, but to the men, what had happened. And so Jesus is there sitting at the well of Jacob. The disciples come back, and they've been in Sychar purchasing food. They're all tired, and they're all hungry. They're walking from Judea, where they had been on the Jordan River, the disciples baptizing, and now because of conflict between the disciples of John and questions coming to the disciples of Jesus, he decides to withdraw them, and so they are on their way back to Galilee, And now, as the disciples come back, they see Jesus speaking with this woman. They know that Jews and Samaritans don't speak. In fact, the Jewish rabbi said that if you push a Samaritan into the ditch, you've done a good thing. There was bitter hatred between them. So when the disciples come back, they have the food. And the disciples say, as she leaves to go into the town, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? Now, this is John, the Gospel of John, the fourth chapter. Let's begin reading with verse 34. And Before we do, let's pray. Lord, I'm going to try in all that I'm able to do at my shallow perception and understanding to speak the truth to my brothers and sisters. I ask for the sobering, Reality of the Holy Spirit to quicken the words and to provide just exactly what is to be said. I know your will is to awaken your people, to identify that Laodicea condition of being blind and naked and miserable and not even knowing it. Lord, would you come now and quicken our hearts and our minds? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not, you say, four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages, even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you've reaped the benefits of their labor. This is a hard saying the disciples come back and they're hungry. They're tired. They've been walking all day in the hot sun. And now they have come to a place where they can rest at noon in the high sun, in the heat of the day. And they're ready to have something to eat and drink. And Jesus is saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, there's a difference between what Jesus sees and what the disciples see. There's a difference between what Jesus sees now and what we as the church see now. I want to explore that difference with you. It's an uncomfortable difference. I've heard so much comforting From preachers, the words flow with smooth, silk-like tones. As people are comforted and told, Jesus loves you, he wants the very best for you. And all of that's true. But it's not the real truth. The real truth is, when a man comes to Jesus Christ and becomes a disciple... He takes on the work of his master. And Jesus is pointing out to them the difference between his view of reality and the disciples' view of reality. They've just gone into town. They've purchased food. They've held themselves aloof as Jews, lowering themselves sufficiently to purchase food but certainly not having dialogue and intercourse. They didn't come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you come into town with us? There are a whole bunch of people that we spoke with in town in the marketplace, and they want to meet you. Well, that didn't happen, did it? No. Oh. They were about what they thought they needed, and that was food and drink for their physical body. Jesus was not primarily concerned about the physical body. He was there to save their souls. His agenda was different. So we come into the New Testament. And I have several passages today I'd like to to share with you. In Mark, the fourth chapter, Jesus has just fed a number of people. He has been preaching on the different kinds of soils. And as evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Mark 4, the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or the Lake of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with them also. A furious squall came up. This is Mark, the fourth chapter, verse 37. The waves broke over the boat, so they were nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The stern is the back of the boat. He was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drowned?' He got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves, "'Quiet, be still!' And the wind died down and was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, "'Why are you so afraid?' you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? Jesus was operating totally outside of any frame of reference that these fishermen had. They had never before seen the lake calmed as Jesus calmed it. They could have told you stories of fishermen who'd been out in the storm and had died because their boat had been sunk. This was not fantasy, this was a very present reality in their mind. It was utterly impossible, however, for this boat to sink, because in this boat was the creator of the world, the Messiah the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They were more secure there than they could have been in any other place. Remember, it was Jesus who said, let's go across. And now he's resting. He's exhausted because of the teaching and the sun all day. He rebukes the wind and the waves and they obey him. And it terrifies the disciples. Because this is a reality that they have not before encountered. They'd never seen this before. Then you find the feeding of the 5,000. In Mark 6, verse 47, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Remember, Jesus put them in the boat and said, Go across to the other side. He was fearful the people were going to come and try to, by force, make him king. So he sent them on, and he went up in the mountain to pray. About the fourth watch, that is just before dawn, he went out to them. They'd been rowing that boat all night long. He was walking on the water. Then comes this very interesting statement. He was about to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage It is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Okay, so we begin to get a picture of even the precious disciples of Jesus as they are walking with him, not understanding what Jesus was doing. They didn't understand what the loaves meant. They had no comprehension that Jesus was the bread of life. Now, in John, soon we'll come to that passage, that talks about eating the broken body of Jesus and drinking his blood. They didn't comprehend that, and neither do we. It says their hearts were hardened. In the Greek, that word hardened means a kind of stone Or, when referring to someone's heart, it is to render stupid or calloused. Their hearts were stupid. That is not a derogatory term. It's saying they didn't have any smarts. They didn't have any wisdom. They couldn't deal with the reality of of the difference between themselves and Jesus. They could see with their eyes what Jesus was doing. They could not comprehend in their hearts how to follow him. So we come to Mark. Mark 11. And I'm going to take a few minutes here I want to show you something. They're leaving Bethany. They're walking. And Jesus is hungry. And he sees a fig tree. And it's all in full leaf as though it had lots of figs. He went to the fig tree. It had no figs. And so he spoke a curse against it. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him do this. He went into the temple and he cleaned out the money changers. He said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now I want you to again get the picture. Man sees the temple as an opportunity to have an entrepreneurial money-making deal while jesus looks at it and he says this is a house of prayer two totally different realities now as they're as they're walking along the next morning Peter sees this tree and it is cursed and it's dead from the root. It's totally dried up and dead. And Peter says, Rabbi, look, the tree you cursed has withered. Of course, we're looking here at the nation of Israel that bears no fruit of righteousness and they will betray Jesus. And Titus will come and cut the tree down. Burn the temple. Over a million Jews will lose their lives. And for the next 500 years, no Jews are going to be allowed to enter Jerusalem. Now verse 22. This is a statement that Jesus makes. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, I have prayed this passage of scripture i have received wonderful dramatic answers to this statement of how to function with jesus to get answers but i've also prayed this prayer many times and nothing has happened and i've been left hanging and I've struggled with how do I make sense of why or what happens that when I stand by faith on a promise of God and nothing happens, how do I explain that? And of course, the church today is either filled with hype about, yes, Jesus, why answer your prayer? I heard a pastor last night make a strange statement. He said, Jesus always answers prayer. No, he doesn't. Come on. Get real. If you've never prayed and had Jesus not answered, then you're living somewhere in a fantasy land. See, what I want you to begin to understand is that there is a huge difference. There is a universe gap between the disciples and their normal response to reality and Jesus' response and the result he gains. There is a huge difference here. So in the church today, bottom line, we dig out a few people here and there, and they become disciples of Jesus. But by and large, it's not happening. And there are some who claim the gift of healing, and there are even actual healings that will take place at times. I've watched, and I've even had people that I have prayed for, and God has healed them. He has cast out the demon, He has restored them. But it is hit and miss. And we come up with all kinds of explanations for why it's hit and miss. Was it ever hit and miss for Jesus? No. Today we're likely to say, look, you need to confess all your sins and believe and be righteous and then God will heal you. No, he won't. No, he won't. We say that but the evidence belies it. That's why I said we're in trouble. Some of us are like the disciples. We're following Jesus. But most often our agenda is, what are we going to eat? Our agenda is, how do we make progress? Our agenda is, look, I don't know what to do so I'm just going to go along and get along. I can't do that. I have to be a pastor of Reelsville. And Reelsville is, in America, that we are in desperate trouble with Jesus. The church is extremely worldly. It has been overtaken with entertainment and worldliness. We have now accepted in the church the most ungodly kinds of things. And we have approved of them. And we have continued our comfortable lifestyles. And so I come to you today saying to you, I am doing everything in my power to walk clean before God, to walk in fellowship with Jesus. But I'm still not getting what I need in the way of understanding to be able to walk as one with Jesus. Now, I can excuse it by saying, it's my background, it's my Americanism, it's my ignorance, it's my stupid heart, it's my hard heart. We can call it all kinds of things. But I'm not interested in name-calling. I'm interested instead in how do we break through and understand what God is calling for. This passage over here in James is very troubling to me. And by the way, we're not going to finish this study today. We're just getting started. It'll go on all week. James, the fourth chapter. I'll begin reading with verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you can't have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure or to take care of you. The disciples were concerned about getting food because they were hungry and thirsty. Jesus was concerned about bringing salvation to Sychar, to this woman at the well and to the men of the village. Jesus was concerned about the salvation of the lost because he knew he was on a, a short road to the cross. He knew he didn't have much time. Well, we don't either. We're on the way to the utter destruction of the world, to the coming of Jesus in glory, which will end with total judgment against the ungodly. That just, that's so heavy on my heart. I see people I love with all my heart. How do I reach them? I can't. And Jesus said that in John 15. He said, you can't do anything without me. Well, what do you mean without me? Every plant that is not planted by the Father in heaven will be pulled up in the last day and cast into the fire. So what we're really looking at in reality is that we have to break our friendship with the world. He said, you adulterous people. This is the church, the New Testament church. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. In other words, there's no middle ground here. The disciples were still in middle ground. They were following Jesus, but they still had the mindset they still had the perspective of the world in their heart. And that was going to have to change. Or they could never carry out the work that Jesus would assign them for the salvation of the world. Do you think Scripture, this is verse five, that James 4, verse 5, or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? but he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, what if the devil won't flee when you resist him? Well, there is a very simple answer for that. That's not a very friendly answer. I'm going to come back. Keep your finger there in James. Let's come back to Mark 11. At the very end of this promise where he says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. That's the promise. Here's the condition. Verse 25, and when you stand praying... If you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And again, that word forgive is the word aphemy, meaning remove. So, over here in James, resist the devil and he will flee unless... You have made accusations against someone, unless you have cheated, stolen, lied, unless you have sinned against someone with anger and malice, bitterness, then. You cannot resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil has an open door to come into your life and ravage your family. I've seen it happen to me. So he says, Wash your hands, purify your hearts, you double minded grieve mourn and wail change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom humble yourselves before the lord and he will lift you up so there's a requirement to fulfill this promise in mark 11 there is a requirement that i humble my heart before almighty god but it's not enough to just humble my heart before god i have to humble my heart before my brothers and sisters whom I've called names, or made judgments, or made accusations, or not demonstrated love and compassion and mercy. So why are the promises of God's deliverance not being fulfilled in our lives? Well, part of the answer, at least, lies in what I just shared out of James, the fourth chapter. That's part of the issue. It's not all the issue, it's part of it. There is the requirement that we... that we stand in faith, that we believe that what we have asked will be done for us, but as you're praying... If you have sins in your heart, he will not answer. Now, what would those sins be? I've already identified out of James what some of those sins might be, but there's another sin that's even much greater than all of these. And that is the sin that our agenda is not the same as Jesus' agenda. That we are asking something for us. We are not asking it for the kingdom of God to be established and built. God is willing to answer the prayers according to the scriptures. Now, I'll speak in a moment of the experience, but he's saying, you have to make a transition from the world. You must no longer be a friend of the world. You must be a friend of Jesus. You must be a friend of the kingdom of righteousness. You must lay down your life in this world and in this culture, and you must be filled with the desire for the fullness of God to be accomplished, literally, in your life and in your family's life. I have seen even the most devout Christian make utterly foolish decisions for themselves and for their families because they have an underlying issue that they want to live a reasonable life in the world today. They don't have, should I say, we don't have yet the eyes and understanding of our Lord Jesus for what reality is. Now, if I were to tell you that NASA and some even with prophetic abilities have given a time and a date when it is very likely that an asteroid will strike off the west coast of America and that it will cause such devastation that the whole world will change. What if I could give you that exact date and time? And it was very close. Let's say you have nine years until that happens, ten years until that happens. Would that change the way you function as a follower of Jesus Christ? Would you say Oh I'm I'm catching it. I have this very short time to make my calling and election sure. The world is coming to an end. We are entering the full time of great tribulation. Disease and pestilence, earthquakes, famines, volcanoes, asteroids, the whole physical world is crashing. Would that change your perspective on how you need to live your life in preparation for going home with Jesus? What I've just described is the reality we face. Men's hearts are going to fail them with fear for what is coming upon the earth. Look at this coronavirus, a virus. Look how terrified people are. I'm not saying that it's without reason. We are facing things that are terrifying in this world famine, pestilence, earthquakes, destruction. Where do we stand with Jesus? Have you given up yet the idea that you can live a normal American life, a happy American life with a a white picket fence around your yard, a happy fence around your yard, and you and your family, you're okay, you're on your way, but then what happens when your children become ill, when you become ill? Can you pray and have the devil flee from you? Can you pray and find healing for your body? Are the prayers that you pray answered? If your prayers are not answered, are you willing to settle for that? Are you willing to settle just for the concept of salvation? Are you willing to settle for just the comforting words that jesus loves you but you don't see the evidence in the physical realm that his presence is with you and he's carrying you there's a passage of scripture that's been very important to me first john the 5th chapter i'll begin reading with verse 14 this is the confidence we have in approaching god that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. Wow, that's an ironclad promise of God. The catch comes, and all of these promises have the catch. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, in other words, the request that is going to be answered by God is going to have to be in accord with his will, which I would take to mean that there must be time and energy devoted to finding out what the will of God is for your life that you're not going to be able to just cruise on through this life, making money, going to your entertainment, having your fun on the internet, going to the movie, having all of this excitement in your life. Are you kidding me? You're going to have to find out what is the will of God. And let me read for you. A text that I received from a listener. It's a text that is very encouraging to my heart. He writes Listen to When Repentance Is Not Enough last night. That's yesterday's broadcast. Very helpful. The Lord this morning brought me to Luke 17:5 through 10. He brings to us the reality in this text of of his constant struggle to understand how faith and the promises work with each other. He says We're called to do the impossible in our position as slaves of Jesus, unworthy at our core, expected to obey his commands and serve him without expecting anything, especially honor or gratitude. These go together. We want want to be a party to the great works. He promises, but too often, omit the humility and obedience that are the foundation which the works manifest. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. He writes, I need to meditate on these things. They are at the heart of my plea to understand his amazing promises of asking and receiving. See, these promises of asking and receiving require a total different mindset. They require that we not ask for ourselves but we ask for the kingdom of jesus we must ask in accord with the will of god now even after saying all of that it's not enough yet jesus seems to be very very far away from the american church today now i can stand by faith on the word of god I can believe what he says in the word, but I cannot make peace with his distance from us. He promised that we would live in him and that he would live in us, and we would ask whatever we desired, and he would do it. That is not my current experience in Jesus. He has answered some prayers, but most prayers he has not answered. That's my reality. That's the reality of the American church today. Because we, like the disciples, have our mind set in a calloused manner that we ask for ourselves and our families in the way of all flesh without our heart being devoted to the way of God. That's very troublesome to me. It keeps me up at night. It wakes me up in the early hours, thirty, four o'clock in the morning. I cry out to God over these issues. John 15, Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. So with Jesus so far away from the American church, and I know you can argue, no, he's very close, Ray. No, he's not. Get real. We're not seeing the evidence that Jesus is close to the church in America today at all. Because we have we've been very proud and very arrogant. Tomorrow I'm going to go into what are the requirements for the prayers we pray to be answered. There are some requirements and they're not easy. They're tough requirements. But I would ask that you would pray and prepare your heart for tomorrow. I'm just... I'm going to be very honest with you. I am not happy with my standing before God. I stand by faith in the blood of Jesus. I have been forgiven of every known sin, but I am still not in the place the disciples were after the crucifixion. after Pentecost. If you're satisfied today with the way the church is in America, you are very shallow and you don't understand the gospel of Jesus yet. This gospel of Jesus demands the very best we have. It demands our time and energy. But if you say, oh, I want to take care of my family, and I want us to be comfortable together, and and I want to be able to do the things that I need to do to take care of business. Then on that great day, when the bridegroom comes, remember half of the church is foolish and half wise. We've got to have the oil of the Holy Spirit, and we're still lacking that. I'm still lacking that. I fear that if Jesus were to come today, I would be one of the foolish. I'm saying, Lord, please have mercy on me. Lord Jesus, please have mercy on my precious listeners. Lord, they are willing to listen to your word, even though it is sharp and uncomfortable. They're willing to consider their pride and their arrogance. They're willing to consider their their open doors to the demonic power in their bitterness and anger and accusations. Lord, there has to be a total change in the American church. And I come confessing before you my shallowness. I come confessing my uncomfortableness with what I see happening and not happening. I hate the worldliness of the church today. Lord Jesus, would you have mercy upon us? We are not getting the job done. We are not doing as you called the disciples to do. We are not adding to the church daily those who are to be saved as they turn from their sins and are washed and are filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not seeing that happen today. Lord, I plead your mercy for the church in America. I especially plead your mercy for those of us who are pastors and teachers and prophets O mighty God of heaven, would you open our blind eyes and touch our dumb tongues that you could come forth in this nation with mighty revival power and that repentance would sweep the land almighty God of heaven I praise your name I love you Jesus come quickly I pray in your name Amen well we're going to continue this tomorrow I'm going to carry further the learning of the disciples about how to get these doors of their hearts closed how to cause the demons to flee how we can find healing and restoration and a whole change in the way we live but it will require that we be crucified with Christ and that continually, day after day, crucified with Christ. I'd love to hear from you. You can go online and you can donate to help me be able to continue this ministry. It is a ministry by faith. If you're wanting to be turned toward Jesus and be searching after him, Then I need to hear from you. The National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia 22195, or go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. I love you, my brother, my sister. Let's be honest with ourselves and with Jesus. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.